It's wonderful to be back with you. Thank you for having me. Uh, As I mentioned last week, I'll say again, Capitol Hill Baptist Church prays for you often, loves you, and uh, delights to see you doing well, Delray. So your brothers and sisters on the Hill pray for you often, and and so do I. So before we uh, begin looking at God's Word, why don't we pray one more time? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for this day. We pray, Lord, that this morning as we come to your word, that you would clear our minds, uh, that you would speak to us clearly, that we would delight and savor the promises that you make to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my question for you this morning is, have you ever eaten at a Chinese restaurant? I have. And a couple of years ago, I was at a Chinese restaurant and uh, having a, a lunch with a couple of friends. It was a great lunch. It was one of those times when, uh, uh, when you know, everything was going right. I, I was starting a new job. I was starting a new relationship. Uh, I had great big plans for ministry. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, the, 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 final, the final round of, uh, of food comes out. And then, of course, that moment that we all look forward to at a Chinese restaurant the fortune cookie. Yes. Bursting forth from the delicious Chinese pastry were the words that I wanted to hear. All your plans will succeed. I literally took that, put the date on it, stuck it in my Bible uh, as a reminder to myself of this, uh, of this amazing lunch that I had. Well, friends, empty promises are often the most devastating. You know, not one of those plans worked out as I'd hoped them to. Uh, and as that unfolded, the, the fortune remained in front of my Bible as a testimony to the promises of this world. You know, hey, fortune cookie, like, as much as I really want everything that you said to be true, you don't know what the future is. You can't make promises like that. And yet often we, we buy into it. We, we love it. We, we want more of it. Well, empty promises from empty gods will empty you of hope and blind you to the truth. But real promises from a real God will fill you with hope and open your eyes to the truth. The difference, friends, is the one who makes the promise. So that's what this text is about this morning. That's what we're going to think about. We're going to think about true and eternal promises from a true and eternal God. You know, we have big questions. That's the, the theme of our two weeks, big questions. First week about our relationship with God, and this week about the promises that this God makes to us. So my prayer this morning is that as we read and consider this text, that we would understand these promises that God is making to us and delight in them. So please open your Bibles to Malachi. If you're using your own Bible, it's, uh, it's the book just before Matthew. It's the last book of the Old Testament. If you're using the Pew Bible, I believe it's on page 676. But as you're opening your Bibles, let me just quickly give you some background, give you some context in case um, you, know, you weren't here with us last week or just to remind us uh, where we've come from. You know, Malachi is a prophet of God, meaning that he's got a message from God to God's people. Uh, and last week we thought about uh, where it was that the people of God had come from at this point. 
They'd literally been just brought back from exile under Babylonian rule and had returned to this this promised city, the city of David. This was a a city that bore great testimony to God's power, and the people wanted to be there. They saw this as as their communion with God. In fact, literally, the temple was where God would, his presence would be with his people. So it was very important uh, the people of Israel would be in the city of David. And here they were brought back. You know, the walls had been rebuilt. The temple would, was renewed. And yet, life was hard. Life was hard because they recognized that they were in you know, economic uncertainty. They had, they had great nations surrounding them, eyeing their possessions, and, and they could feel the pressure of that. They also had agricultural difficulties. Their, their vines weren't you know, producing fruit. Their, their harvest wasn't coming in as it should. They had drought and pestilence. And yet here they were, out of exile, back in the city. And the presence of God wasn't the same as they'd heard of their forefathers. And so the question comes, what's happening? And so they questioned, as we thought about last week, they questioned their relationship with God about his love for them, their worship, did it really matter? And does it even matter how I treat the people around me? And we saw that, yes, very much so it does. And so this morning, as we think about the promises that God is making to these people, as they look forward into the future, we see this nation, Israel, continuing to ask these questions. Why? What for? Why should I even care? Well, my friends, God makes promises to the nation Israel, to Christians, and to non-Christians. God makes promises to all people. And so if you have an interest in your future, and not just the kind of generic self-help, fortune cookie of happiness is before you, but if you really want to know, then let's pay attention to what Malachi has to say. So let's consider our first promise for this morning. God makes promises to his people. God makes promises of justice to all people. That's our first point for this morning. So please turn with me to our text. We're going to begin in chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. And he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I'll be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Well, this, in our first section, we see that 
Yes, Israel is enduring hardship. Life is hard. They are surrounded. They are, they are struggling. And they're saying to themselves, well, we're the people of God. We, we know that to be true. Then where is the God of justice? Because all I'm seeing at the moment is, is the arrogant being blessed. The, the evildoers going free. So where is this God of justice? Well, God promises here in this text that justice is coming. It's coming in the form of a messenger. The one that you've been seeking, the one that you've been hoping for, he's, he's coming, but he's coming suddenly. The Almighty Lord, the God of the universe, has heard the people's cries, and he's promised that he's coming. But will you recognize him? God is in so incredibly merciful to his people. The expectation of the people is that a great king, a great conqueror, a, a general is coming to lead them back to their former glory, lead them into political power and economic power. But the God of the universe doesn't desire to fulfill the wishes of man. The God of the universe glorifies himself not by jumping through the hoops of expectant Israel. He's glorified by loving his people because, as we thought about last week, he's chosen to love his people. He loves his people with an everlasting love and delivers justice not by the standard of man, but by his own perfect standard. And so his, his coming is not an earthly king, it's not an earthly governor, it's not an earthly power, but a heavenly one, an eternal conqueror. This promise is far sweeter than anything that we could ever muster up in our minds. The justice that God promises will result in the purification of his people. In fact, here in the verses we see the question, you know, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? The answer is that no one's able to stand. All will fall in worship of God. And that means that if you know the Lord, if you know Jesus Christ, if you have a relationship with him, on that day when he comes, you will fall in worship knowing the sweet promise of acceptance by God, knowing that all your sins have been paid for. That also means that if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that on this last day when, when he returns, that you too will fall on your face and worship God, knowing that full judgment, full wrath is going to be poured out upon you. And that that is right. And that's what God should do. And that's what God will do. God has promised to come quickly. He has promised to come in justice. But he's also promised to come personally. Do You see it there in verse 5. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will come near to you for judgment. This isn't some abstract, random, religious thought. This is a promise that personally God will come. I wonder what, you, what that stirs up in your heart. Does that stir up joy? Does that stir up an expectant worship of him? It's an amazing promise that he's making. And so, friends, I want to draw your attention to two elements of this text. The, the first we see there in um, verse 1, just halfway through the verse, when it says, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. And then if you look just slightly further down in verse 2, it says, but who can endure the day of his coming? 
And so the, the question in our minds might be, well, what's the order? What's, what's happening here? Who is coming and what's, and what's going on? Well, a quick unpacking of that, you'll see that suddenly the Lord you're seeking will come to his temple. That's a prophecy of the coming of Christ. That's a prophecy of his incarnation. And his coming to the temple is literally Jesus being born and being brought to the temple. And the promise here in this first section for us, those who are reading this, is that Jesus is coming. Well, he's come. He's come to deliver justice, yes. Justice in defeating death and sin. He came not to be served by man, though he should be, but to serve. Jesus took on flesh and humbled himself to be a man, to, to understand what it is to feel the temptation, but to not sin. And so for us, as we read this, we see his suddenly coming is this great promise of him taking on the the full wrath and the full punishment of the sin of those who would repent and believe in him. That's what this first section of this promise of justice is, that, that this heavenly king will come and conquer death, conquer sin for all who would repent and believe. And the second, but who can endure the day of his coming? Well, everyone endured the day of his coming the first time around because he went to the cross and he died and he rose again. No, no one was refined as, as we see here, refined in a fire or, or cleansed as a, a launderer's soap. This is speaking of his second coming. And so for those who are listening to Malachi, they're hearing, yet yeah, yeah, a Messiah, a Savior is coming and then there's going to be a second coming. Well, for us, we sit between those two periods. We sit knowing that Christ has come, defeating death and sin on our behalf, and that he, the promise is that he will return. And then on that final day, that no one will be able to stand. And that, friend, your relationship with Christ on that day and on this day is fundamentally important. Because as I said before, no one will stand, everyone will bow and worship. The question will be is, Are you worshipping him knowing that you're going to spend eternity without sin in relationship with God? Or are you spending eternity receiving the full punishment for all the sin that you have committed against God and you're turning from him? So my non-Christian friend, I wonder, have you ever asked yourself the question, why is it that bad things happen in this world? If, If these are promises of justice, then then why is it that we see so much pain and anger in this world, so, so much difficulty? Well, you're right, the, the world is broken, and it's broken by sin. Sin is the issue. The God of perfect justice will make all things right. And friend, that means that you are the right recipient of that justice. Today is the day I, we, Malachi, beg you to turn and repent of your sin And place your faith in Jesus Christ, who bore the penalty for your sin. Friend, this is your only hope. There is no other mechanism. Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation and restoration with God. He is your eternal, personal Savior. I beg you today, consider who this Jesus Christ is and the promise of salvation that he gives you. And to my Christian friend, have you considered what perfect justice really means? In Romans, Paul is writing to the church in Rome and, and says, God will judge men's secrets 
through Jesus Christ. So does that mean that God is literally going to judge the, the frustration that I had in the car? Like Jesus was on the cross bearing the sin, the specific sin of my being impatient? It seems ridiculous. It seems funny. Well, it only seems strange and ridiculous because we think little of sin and much of ourselves. Brothers and sisters, this is true. We do not know how much justice we truly deserve or how much mercy we've received from these pierced hands of Jesus Christ. God treats his people with amazing mercy. God promises justice for all people. He is patient and loving towards his people in the face of their rebellion. And we praise him as we recognize the blessings that he has poured out in our lives. And that brings us to uh, our second question, our second promise. God's promise to bless his people. So let's look back at the text, beginning in chapter 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Well, God blesses his people in their faithfulness. Friends, this promise is baffling in its persistence, right? At every turn, the people had rebelled. In every way, they had turned away from God, and yet here he is holding out again this offer of mercy in the face of this undeserving rebellion, the face of what they should receive, which is condemnation. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. This is amazing mercy and an amazing promise of blessing. The blessing that God is holding out is the blessing of his presence. Who is this God of justice that would extend such sweet mercies of patience and and presence? Just meditate on that. Let your mind wrestle to understand the fullness of God's mercy and your heart rejoice at his unchanging, unfailing love. But the people ask, how are we to return? We're not the ones who've left. God, you're the one who's left. We didn't go anywhere. We remained faithful. Where are you? We're the ones who are struggling. What do you mean return? 
we can see the heart of these people, self-deception. Self-deception is the soil in which self-righteousness and arrogance roots itself and it grows and it grows fully and it strengthens into rebellion and death. Friends, we must fight against such a heart as the heart of these people. The people had departed from God in the way they worshipped him. We see that clearly as he lays it out. We considered that last week in what we saw the, the priests leading the people in, in their worship. Well, here he's calling out the, the responsibility of every one of the Israelites to say, hey, you have an economic responsibility that is a part of the covenant that I've made with Levi that is crucial to your worship of me. You're to bring 10% of your, of your earnings into the, into the temple. This is the tithe. You're to bring the first fruits of your harvest into my house so that there is food. I mean, these people aren't, it's not as if they have to go and search a library and go into the details of the terms and conditions of this contract. No, Nehemiah had preached this and taught this to these people. They knew their responsibility. And yet, they were making a decision that their money and their possessions and their comfort and their provision was far more valuable than their right worship of God. We would rather be faithful to ourselves than faithful to God. And so, friends, I hope you understand, I hope you know, I hope you sense the, the, the badness of this trade, the, the poor decision that's being made. Because, one, I mean, even if you don't know the Lord, you know that money comes and goes. You know that wealth and power is fleeting. Or at least I hope you know that. Because fast will pass the time of your own notoriety. It's like a breath in the wind. And yet God, he says it here, I do not change. He says this thousands of years ago. I do not change. He will never fade away. Righteousness and faithfulness is rewarded with blessing. That's what we see here in verses 10 to 12. We see that clearly as well in Deuteronomy 27 and 28 where God lays out like, you you remain faithful to me and I'll bless you. You remain faithful to me and I'll bless you. This is the unique way in which God has covenanted with his people. His mechanism by which they show their their, uh, love and affection and, um, and reliance on God. And yet all of this is to point them to their inability to, to perfectly fulfill this covenant, perfectly fulfill this, uh, this contract. There's no way that they can, they can fully repent of all their sins. They, there's not enough animals in this world for them to slaughter and have enough blood flow for their sins against an eternal and perfect God. It's pointing them on their absolute fundamental need for a Savior. And so the blessing that God is is promising is that he will bless faithfulness. He will draw close to them. But what it's not saying, that that the work that we need to do as we read this sitting here in 2012 is that under this new covenant, the covenant of um, faith and trust in Christ as our means of salvation, not the covenant of works in which our faithfulness is clearly seen in what we do, right? Under this new covenant that trust and faith in Christ is our means of salvation, 
What this here is saying, you know, I'll, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing upon you. It's not saying that if you work harder, you'll get more. It's not saying if you pray enough, then good things will automatically happen. It's not saying that if you grit your teeth and uh, screw up your hands and, and read more of the Bible and memorize more of it and dig harder into Bible study. And, you know, it's not saying if you act right that you'll receive physical present blessing. That is a wild misuse of the text. Look again with me at verses 9 and 10 of chapter 3. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. God is concerned with the people's faithfulness to him. Repent of your sin and return to faithfully worshipping me, and your reward will be overwhelming. We know that this reward is knowing more of Christ. The prize is more valuable than gold or silver. But, Matthew, are you saying that if I lose my job that I shouldn't pray? I shouldn't pray for God's provision? Of course not. That's not what I'm saying. Of course, we rely on God. Even in the way that we've prayed this morning, we've shown our dependence and love for Him in the way that we've asked Him for His provision. It's right to do that. He's even encouraged us to say, bring to me your burdens. And so if we do lose our job and we are struggling with difficulty and God does not miraculously change our circumstance, what you're experiencing is not a lack or a devoid of blessing. Right? You're, not, you're, not, you're not feeling like a curse or a punishment. No, your blessing is actually far greater than that, Christian. Hebrews talks about, the author of Hebrews talks about um, the, the delight of this discipline, that, that legitimate children of God are disciplined by a loving father. It says no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Brothers and sisters, the, the blessing that we have for faithfulness to God, even through the dark night of the soul, is that we cling harder to the cross, that we know Christ deeper, that our desire for God becomes singular in those times, trusting and relying on his word for guidance. These are the blessings that we have even in the difficulty, even when it feels like we don't have any blessings. I trust those of you who have been Christians for any length of period of time, you've experienced these difficulties and you've experienced this great blessing. Pray that you would point others to it as well. Indeed, there are tangible rewards for faithfulness. There really are. But often we don't see them in fullness until heaven. That's the, that's the reality for the Christian. We won't know them fully until we're in heaven. And so a quick example for some of those of you who know me, I was saved, I was a bit... The Lord saved me when I was at Penn State. So I did a, a short um, exchange program to Penn State in Pennsylvania, and I was not a Christian by any means. The, the testimony is long and wild and, and undulating, but this one point that I wanted to share about um, faithfulness being blessed and not seeing that until heaven, well, the person who 
God used to save me was a street preacher. He was a student, right? and I never met him. So I think about it often, like he went to class that day, he, he had, maybe he had a, an exam, I, I don't know, if I was a 19, 20-year-old kid, I probably didn't want to spend my Friday night evangelizing and street preaching because of the, the sheer amount of rejection that you would get on a college campus, but there he was, preaching the gospel faithfully, and I was in the crowd and I heard it. The Lord rescued me and changed my heart and and I've lived my life faithfully to try to glorify God. And this young man who did that work doesn't know it. And he won't know it. He doesn't know that blessing. I pray that we'll be able to share and delight in that in heaven. But friends, be encouraged that your blessing that you receive from faithfulness for God will fully be expressed in heaven. That's the promise that we're receiving. God promises of blessing his people can be clearly seen in our lives as we know more and more of Christ and yet not fully realized in this life. And so as we think about this life and moving to the next and knowing that blessing fully in heaven, it brings us to the third promise, our final promise for this morning. God promises a deliverer. God promises a deliverer. Let's look back at our text. Chapter 3, starting in verse 13. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out this requirement and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. But a root or a branch will be left, no root or branch will be left of them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah, before that great and dreadful day of the, of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Well, these are profound and prophetic last words of the Old Testament. The next prophet after Malachi is John the Baptist. Though separated by over 400 years, John was the one to make straight the ways to be the voice calling in the wilderness that Isaiah prophesies about. 
He's proclaiming the coming of this deliverer. John functioned as Elijah in his courageous and uncompromising denunciation of sin, in a ministry which put him at odds with the the king of the day and even his evil wife. John went on before the Lord in spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. But this people, the people of Israel, are in a desperate state. No clearer statement of their hearts towards God is made than right here when they say, it is futile to serve God. Because all we see is the arrogant being blessed, evildoers prospering, and even those challenging God, they escape. So what's the point? God isn't doing anything about the injustice that we're seeing in this world. He's not doing anything for his people. So it's futile. Well, Israel, it's like you haven't been listening at all. Questioning God's justice? And I hope you, as we read this, you see the irony of this. That they're complaining that those who would challenge God are set free, are allowed to escape. Well, they're the ones challenging God. They're the ones who are arrogant. They're the ones who are showing themselves to be evildoers. And yet God is allowing them to escape. He is still extending them mercy. You know, last week we thought about the fact that our actions are often, you know, often speak much louder than our words. Well, right here, these six words, they speak pretty loudly. It is futile to serve God. It's a terrible state to be in as a people of God. A people of God who've been rescued, who've been restored, and yet continue to rebel. You see, there's no change in these people's hearts. They've been punished for generations. They've been rescued time and again, and and they've been delivered. And even most recently in their generation, they've been delivered. And yet still, they say it's futile to serve him. They have forgetful minds and uninterested ears and unbelieving hearts. And so the promise here of this deliverer is that a distinction is going to be drawn. Once more, you shall see the distinction is the word of God. God's justice will be vindicated with the coming of Jesus Christ, the deliverer of the faithful remnant of his people. Those that are being saved will be God's treasured possession. That's the promise. God's claim on his people is absolute. And God's judgment of the wicked is also absolute. Those that are not his will burn in the furnace. And those that are God's treasured possession will leap like calves released from the stall. The distinction is marked and it's only made clear on that promised final day. It's only made clear by this promise of a deliverer. This distinction between the wicked and the faithful, it's cavernous. It is literally as far as the east is from the west. And so this promise of a deliverer who would make such a distinction should change lives. It should change priorities. And yet, it has not for these people. Ultimately, they have not changed their priorities. They have not returned as God has asked them to. 
But what was true then is also true now. Not for a lack of warning or pleading or prayer. There are those who are turned away from God. They're hardened to his love. This is a terrible truth of sin that we know all too well in this place, in this suburb. And yet God shows himself to be patient and merciful and consistent. He's quick to forgive and quick to call to repentance. And so Del Rey, as, as a church, I wonder, are you quick to be merciful? Are you quick to be patient? Are you quick to call to repentance? Even more than that, you, my brother and sister in Christ, are you, are you merciful? Are you patient? Do you see that in your own life? Do the, those around you see that as well? Ask your brothers and sisters in Christ if you see these godly attributes in your life. Because those who live around us, those who are in our neighborhoods, those who are in our workplaces, those who we're friends with, we have relationships with, those who are in our families, they are a part of this distinction. And so our call is for urgent, joyful presentation of the gospel. This promise of a deliverer is sweet and blessed news to those who are being saved and yet terrifying to those who are not. And so my encouragement this morning as we come to this la- the end of this last promise is, will you step forward? Will you step forward in faith and proclaim this great good news? There's no better news to proclaim than this deliverer is coming and it is promised. I pray that you would, that you would step forward, Del Rey, as in this time of great hope and great transition, that you would rely on these promises from God, these promises of justice, of blessing, of this deliverer. God promises a deliverer, and that is Jesus Christ, the one who came and died in our place. And so as we conclude, we have to pay some attention to the concluding verses, 4 and 5. This, these are not your standard, feel-good, kind of Disney um, you know, the people realized the error of their way and they decided, yeah, faithfulness is probably better and everyone lived happily ever after. That's not the conclusion we're seeing here at the end of the Old Testament. But know that the conclusion is far better than this hallmark card of, a, of an ending. The conclusion is that God is promising that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming to defeat sin and death, to have the absolute epicenter of the narrative of of Scripture revealed on the cross. That is the conclusion that we're seeing here. And it is joyful to God's people to see. God promises his people that he will bring justice and mercy and that that will be good and sweet and true. All these promises are yes and amen in Christ. God has delivered justice and mercy in ways beyond our wildest dreams. So as the the fortune cookie cracks open and rings false with empty promises, the sound of God's promises to the ears of those who are being saved is like joyful music. The taste is a sweet flavor in the mouth of the redeemed. And the sight, an overwhelming one of eternal joy with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are mighty and merciful. Lord God, you bring justice in your hands and yet you are patient with us. 
You've provided us a deliverer in Christ, and so we praise you. Lord God, as we sing your praises, as we know the difficulties of this world, we sing together, it is well. It is well with my soul. And pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless this congregation, continue to work in our hearts and our minds. We praise you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.